right, before we get to the big picture stuff, like beating the Clippers and remaining on top of the Western Conference, I'm just going to get something off my chest here. The hack of foul strategy, the hack of player strategy is bogus. It shouldn't exist. I admire Rudy for sticking with it, making the big shots uh, on on Sunday night and giving the, the Wolves a chance to beat a very good team. But it's an intentional foul. It should be two shots and the ball out of bounds. It, should, it shouldn't be a strategy. Do you agree or not? Well, I, I I do agree to some extent um, that yes, the the kind of obvious and clear ones should be uh, two shots in the ball. If if you're going to make it intentional, like uh, like the take fouls, I think that's a way to weed some of that out of the game. Um, especially when you look at just last night specifically, Jim. Uh, when you watched Russell Westbrook foul Rudy Gobert in the intentional manner, uh, he put a little extra mustard on some of those. Like, I mean, he's running through screens. He's like hacking really uh, forcefully. Um, and and it was all clearly meant to try to rattle Go- Gobert. Um, part of me wants to say, hey, like these guys got to make follow shots. That's part of the game. And, and so if you can't make them, then maybe you don't belong on the floor at that point. Good for Rudy for knocking those down and showing that he does belong on the floor but yeah I do think that there's probably something a little bit more than there already is right now in terms of uh, two shots in the ball or one shot in the ball like a take foul um, sort of situation on 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 some of the more obvious in the backcourt or you know kind of intentional falls that really slow the game down because it does it slows it down um, it turns it into a free throw shooting contest which is not desirable at the same time. I do understand, Hey, Rudy Gobert is seven, two and kind of kicking our butts. Like we got to find a way to get him off of there. And that's what they tried to do. I hate it. I just hate it. It's not basketball. It's just a, it's a loophole. And the worst part of basketball is the fact that it's a great sport, great athletes, spectacular. The worst part of the sport is that calling fouls and having shoot free throws saying, okay, let's stop this incredible athletic demonstration and have somebody stand have everybody stand still for a while and play you know ring toss it's it's the opposite of what basketball is supposed to be about and this is the worst aspect of the worst part of the game i freaking hate it but that's not the big picture the big picture is the timberwolves remain atop the western conference not only do they survive uh the incredibly tough 16 game stretch they come out of that 16 game stretch they beat a team they should beat and then they beat the team that have been playing as well as any team in the NBA since the beginning of December at home. Uh, and it was great. I mean, and let's start with the defense. Um, the defense was spectacular. It was, it was great individual defense. It was great team defense. You're up against guys who can make, you know, contested three pointers and, and really controlled the game, forced Paul George into a bad shooting night, uh, forced James Harden into a bad shooting night. So just give me your overall assessment of both last night. We're talking here on Monday and this last stretch they've been through. Yeah, I think um, two things on that. First of all, we had talked maybe you know two pods ago, and they were clearly the wolves were clearly in a bit of a swoon. Um, they they were not playing as well as they had been earlier in the year. They had the you know the back to back losses to New York and New Orleans. Uh, they didn't even play. They didn't play well in a in a win over the Lakers. They didn't play well in a win home win over Dallas, and it looked like you know, things were kind of leveling out a little bit in this long 82 game season. Well, I would say now 
as we stand here on Martin Luther King Day uh, Monday recording this, they are out of that swoon definitively. Even though they lost at Dallas and at Boston last week, they still played very well in those games and sh- and you could say could could have won both of those games. And then you'd be looking at one, two, three, a six game winning streak right now. And, and so then you, 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 you play at Boston um, and you, you're very shorthanded and almost win on the second night of a back-to-back. It goes to overtime. You play at Dallas kind of mess around a little bit, but we're in very much position to win that game and, and lose it down the stretch with a couple of bad decisions. But the Orlando game was very good. The Houston game was very good. Portland was a was a wipeout and then you play the hottest team in the league team that was 17 and three in its last 20 games and they really did control that game for most of it and so um and and you know it got to be a nail biter at the end because the Clippers did come back and and made it very very interesting but still uh the Wolves were able to beat the team that has looked better than anyone else over the last several weeks and so I do think we can say that the Wolves are now back to playing very good basketball right now. And that's that's a that's a good thing. Um, when you talk about the defense, I wrote it at the athletic this morning. This was a great test for this defense, it, it, both in the present and in the big picture of things. Because when people talk about Rudy Gobert being able to be played off of the floor in the playoffs uh, when he was with Utah. Most of the people who have that view point to uh, a series against the Los Angeles Clippers in 2021 when the Jazz were number one in the West. They got out to a 2-0 lead in the series. And then Ty Lue and the Clippers went super small and spread the Jazz out and, um, and just shot the lights out. And the most kind of damning evidence against Rudy Gobert in the um, in this argument is game six of that series when Terrence Mann made seven of 10 three-pointers and Rudy Gobert was assigned to him. And if you watch the game back, Gobert was kind of daring Terrence Mann to shoot because he had averaged seven points a game that season um, and and was kind of more glued to the paint and 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 wouldn't get out as much to contest Terrence Mann's shots. And um Mann just was on fire. 39 points he scored in that game and they won and eliminated the Jazz and and very much brought a ton of criticism and scrutiny onto Rudy Gobert for the way that the defense played in that game. Well, if you talk to people with the Jazz and around the Jazz, um, who know the situation intimately, uh, they will tell you that it actually wasn't Rudy Gobert's fault, that Rudy Gobert was trying to essentially cover all five guys on the floor because he was playing with Boyan Bogdanovich, with Donovan Mitchell, um, with with guys who could not guard on the perimeter. Jordan Clarkson, several others, could just couldn't guard on the perimeter at all. And so the Clippers would get by the perimeter guys easily, get into the paint, and either have floaters layups or kick out for three. And Rudy's trying to cover all of this ground all by himself. And that's why the Jazz got just worked in that game and really in the last four games of that series. Well, now here in Minnesota, what was clear last night and what's been clear most of the season 
is that Rudy Gobert is not on an island here. He has Jaden McDaniels. He has Anthony Edwards. Mike Conley is in the right spot all the time. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kyle Anderson. Even Cat is playing the best defense of his career. And so, um, you know, we asked Rudy Gobert just about kind of the defense here. And he had so much pride last night in saying everyone can guard and they get after you. And so Rudy is a lot more open and free to roam, to get out on the perimeter and contest shots out there, which he did at a very good, uh, very effectively against the Clippers and, and not have to worry about his guys getting beat over and over again, going to the basket. And so that's what gives optimists who are following the Wolves, who have followed Rudy Gobert for his whole career, uh, a belief that this can be different than those Utah teams because of Jade McDaniels, because of Kyle Anderson, because of Anthony Edwards, because of Nikhil, because of, of all the defensive weapons that are around Rudy Gobert this time. And it was very, very impressive the way that they played on Monday night against the Clippers and a team that really can move the ball and score. Great stuff. Great breakdown. He's John Krasinski. This is the John Krasinski Show. This is TalkNorth.com. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, the best way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's the easiest way to listen. Check out TalkNorth.com for all of our other sports, variety, and outdoor content. Thanks for listening. We're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studios. We want to thank Aquarius Home Services, TSR Injury Law, and Head Flyer Brewing, who hosts so many of our live shows. Uh, thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. And uh, we do this show every week. You should know that by now. If you're just catching on, this is going to be a great place to spend the rest of the Timberwolves season. Uh, so Edwards, big night last night. And it, I mean, there's always ebb and flow with this. And it's not going to be the same exactly every game. But it feels like he is making really good decisions in difficult game situations now. And there, there have been a couple of games this year where it looked like he was forcing it or wasn't sure exactly what to do. Man, he looked like he, he was in control last night. He absolutely was, Jim. And, and I'm glad that you brought up the decision-making because if you just look at the stat sheet, he did have five turnovers. And there were a couple of times, um, I think especially in the fourth quarter, as the Clippers were sort of narrowing the gap where he may have made a rush decision or two um, that resulted in turnovers and, and, and didn't help the Wolves' cause. But by and large... In most of his 38 minutes last night, I thought that he was really in control of the game. He only took 16 shots, but got 33 points. He scored 20 points in the third quarter and uh, shot nine free throws in that quarter. And he is making the right decisions on when to shoot it, on when to go to the basket and try to get fouled, on when to move the ball. And, and get it away from double teams. And you are seeing more and more understanding of the nuances of playing offense for Anthony Edwards. And that's why he was so effective against a very good Clippers defense on Monday night. I mean, you know, I, I, was, I was really struck by how patient he was. And Kawhi Leonard said this after the game. He was asked about Anthony Edwards after the game. And Kawhi said... You know, two time, two different times he he said the word patient with Edwards, and that has not always been Anthony Edwards' strong suit. He gets he loves the heat checks. He loves you know kind of 
getting in the flow of the game and, and sometimes getting swept up in it. But against the Clippers, he was very under control. He did not force many things at all. There was once or twice, but for the most of the game, he let it come to him. He trusted his teammates. He made good passes in transition. And I think that it really makes the Timberwolves hard to guard when he does that. And it also often ends up with him getting better shots. Um, if he moves it early in the clock, he can reposition. It can The ball can get back to him with a better matchup or a better uh, look at the basket or a better lane going to the basket. And it, it's just so beneficial for him and for the team in general. So I thought that, you know, the game against the Clippers was one of his most mature games of the season with just how he attacked it. And um, and it and it made everyone around him better as well. No doubt. All right, let's get into the rotation next. Uh, interesting developments there. We do want to thank Aquarius Home Services. Uh, also want to thank longtime sponsor, one of our original sponsors here at uh, Talk North and at the John Grzynski Show, which once upon a time was known as the You Betcha Basketball Show before we made things simpler. Uh, TSR Injury Law has been with us a long time, 612-TSR-TIME. 612-TSR-TIME. Of course, one of the reasons they've been with us so long is they've been a success for a long time. Uh, they've been, you know, they've been working with us. You see the billboards everywhere. It's because they win so many cases. They won't charge you unless they win your case. And yes, they win a lot of cases. So just remember, if you're ever injured, we hope you aren't, but if you're ever injured, call 612-TSR-TIME and they'll take good care of you. Now on to Head Flyer Brewing. Headflyer Brewing, Northeast Minneapolis, right off of Hennepin Avenue and 35W. Uh, I've been telling you about this for a long time, but just go in there and just take a look at the selection that you have uh, for of great beers, of great seltzers. Uh, Neil and Nate and, and everyone over there has a new THC drink now um, that, you, that you can try that they're really excited about. Um, it's just, it's got something for everyone. Uh, when you when you walk in there, you'll see a big, airy, open tap room, plenty of room, plenty of seats and tables to sit down at. You can play some board games. You can bring your dog. You can watch the Timberwolves on television, on, on their flat screen TVs that are all over the place. Uh, and they always have good food trucks uh, that are in the uh, you know, in the vicinity, uh, usually especially on the weekends. So um, I highly recommend going down to Head Flyer Brewing. Um, if you, if you love, you know, just, if you love beer, if you love seltzer, you want to you know, experiment a little bit with a, with one of their THC berry drinks, give it a shot. They have something for you. Tell them J the John Krasinski show sent you. Yes. Thanks to head flyer. Thanks to all of our sponsors. We do appreciate it. So rotation feels like it's tightened up a little bit. Is that uh, the way Finch likes it? Or is he just not as confident in some of the bench players right now? Yeah, I think that it is a night by night thing a little bit, Jim. Um, you know, certainly when you look at the Clipper game, he only played eight guys. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 that's that's definitely different than he usually likes to try to go nine. Um, but this was a game that the Wolves really wanted to get at home against a team that was playing exceedingly well. Uh, you do see that when it's winning time, when it's when it's when it's crunch time, that Finch will tighten up the rotation, stick with players he trusts. So he did not go to Jordan McLaughlin uh, against the Clippers, and he did not go to Troy Brown Jr. against the Clippers either. 
when you look at sort of the way that the game was going and, and the way that they were playing, it was working, I think, last night for the most part. And so they, I don't think he wanted to disrupt it as much. Um, the, I think it was a good job by him of managing the minutes, though, because Mike Conley still only played 32 minutes. And you worry about, I thought at one point, I'm like, ooh, uh, Conley might play 35 minutes in this game. Uh, just kind of with the way that it was shaking out, but uh, but he stuck with Kyle Anderson for almost 27 minutes. Nikhil Alexander Walker got 20 minutes, and they were able to keep those minutes down. But you saw it was much more of a playoff like rotation for Finch, and you know Edwards 38 minutes, Gobert and Cat 37 minutes almost, um, McDaniel's 35 minutes, and that's I think indicative of what this game was for them. This was a playoff type of a game for the Timberwolves. And so uh, you will see that in the playoffs. I, th- I still think like going forward, Finch will probably want to get that ninth man back into the rotation, especially with some very winnable games coming up against some struggling teams. You'll see the rotation expand, but against the better teams, against the bigger ones, Finch really wants to win. And so that's usually when he tightens that rotation up. I was wondering if Kyle Anderson's season-long shooting problems were going to become a big problem for this team. Not that it was going to keep him from having a good season, but that it might be it might cost him against good teams. It might be something to watch going into the postseason. Uh, he shot it great last night. He made a three-pointer, but he also looked comfortable taking those. To me, when you're not shooting well, those little five to ten foot, yeah, you know, teardrop. You got to shoot it with form. You got to hit the right spin, or it's going to look ugly. He made a lot of those too. It feels like he's come through this. It, it does feel like that. And and there was a little bit of talk about that in the locker room after the game as well, uh, about just his overall feel for offense seems to be coming back to him. Um, you know, he played very well against the Clippers, 10 points, four of six. He made that corner three. Um, but and and then you look at a couple of games ago against Boston, he played 39 minutes, 17 points, didn't shoot a three but also had eight rebounds, five assists. It was a very Kyle Anderson-like game. He had 11 points against Orlando, four for six. Like, these are more of the Kyle Anderson stat lines that we saw last year. Now, he he shot 41% from three last year. He's shooting like 13% from three this year. Um, so that's a huge, huge difference. But everything else that he is doing over these last four or five games is much closer to the Kyle Anderson offensively that he was last year he's been good defensively for them this year as well and so he's been really needed for them but when you look at sort of how he can maximize himself and how this Timberwolves offense that we've been talking about that's been mediocre for most of the season how that can get going is if you have the ball in Kyle Anderson's hands and he is effective getting to the basket getting into the the paint for those little push shots and floaters that you were talking about, Jim. Um, if, if he can do that, it just opens up a lot for what the Timberwolves want to accomplish. And so I think that, you know, no one in that locker room ever lost faith in Kyle Anderson, but it was pretty ugly for long stretches of this season before this last four or five games. And so if this is a, a sign that he's sort of figuring it out and finding his rhythm and his groove a little bit. Uh, that's very important for this team, and they certainly want to see that going forward. 
I rarely care what national media or national figures think about local teams. To me, it's really irrelevant, but I know it's a thing for Minnesota sports fans. They want to be recognized. They want to feel like they're you know, being treated fairly. Do you think the national media gives this franchise, this team enough credit? Do you think uh, the, the national media believes in this team or do you think there's still something of an oddity? Yeah, no, I, I mean, so I don't think they give this team enough credit right now. I mean, they've been in first place for almost two months. Um, and like they've been the best team from a record standpoint all season in the Western Conference. And they are not talked about like a, like a team like that. If the Lakers were in first place right now and had the same exact numbers that the Timberwolves had, have uh, it would be wall to wall ESPN, you know, unbelievable coverage of what this, how great this Lakers team is and what a problem they're going to be in the playoffs. And, and, um, and, and just how amazing that the chemistry is and the defense and all of that, that's, that's what would happen. Um, now I will say that one part that I understand about the rather tepid embrace that the wolves have received so far from national media is that they are the Timberwolves and that they do have to show it for more than half of a season. I think before they train uh, national media to start paying attention for a long, long time, they, you just have not had to pay attention to this team. They were largely irrelevant. Even the last couple of years um, when they made the playoffs, they were just, you know, kind of uh, cannon fodder for first round knockouts. And and it, you didn't have to take them super seriously. So I do think there is a retraining of national media that's going on right now in terms of, look, you have to pay attention to how well these guys are playing. And I think Denver experienced this last year. Uh, they were not in the public eye um, and in the national discourse nearly as much for most of last season, even though they were clearly the best team in the league and on their way to a championship. And the, the, like it or not, the the national media like goes where they believe the eyeballs are. And and so they stick with the Lakers. They go with the Knicks. They go, you know, with uh, the Heat, with with teams like that, that they think can generate conversation because they're not very creative in generating their own conversation about teams that that um, that don't have just enormous fan bases already. And so um, but that's part of the deal. This is part of this process that the Timberwolves do have to kind of prove themselves to be legitimate and wins like Sunday night against the Clippers kind of help to further cement that legitimacy. If you ask the Timberwolves, they don't care um, about that attention. They it's totally fine for them. But certainly I understand if fans look at it and say, why can't the Timberwolves get some real discourse on the on the NBA show on ESPN or or more so on social media with some of the bigger accounts and 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 things like that? That's just that's the nature of the beast when you're kind of bursting onto the scene. It takes a while for people to catch up to it. The other thing is, uh, I think fans should realize that national media attention is fool's gold. It doesn't really do you any True. good, and. 
and it can bring unwanted attention. It can bring unwanted pressure. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't help you win games. It doesn't sell you more tickets locally. It just puts you on, makes you, you know, it puts, puts you on the pedestal where you become a pinata if things don't go well. Well, and the other thing about that, Jim, too, is like, it's, it's almost a careful what you wish for thing because yep. how often do you see fans like, Hey, these guys won't pay attention or Charles Barkley won't talk about us or this or that. And then when, when the national media does pay attention, um, sometimes they're very informed. The guys like <laughs> Zach Lowe and Ryan Rossillo and stuff are very informed and, and have really good, interesting takes about what this team is and where it can go. And sometimes they're not very informed and that only gets people mad. Like the, the yep. fans, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, this is ridiculous and, and we're being disrespected. So, um, a lot of times when you get that national attention and they are not watching you, your team day in and day out, like the fans of this team are, they aren't as informed and they aren't as familiar. And so some of their uh, analysis might not be with what the fans agree with, or it might not even be rooted in reality. And that just pisses everyone off. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say, you know, you can clamor for it because I understand you want people to recognize how great this Wolves team has been for this season. You want people to give them the recognition, but sometimes the recognition that comes with that isn't what you want anyway, and it's only going to make you even more mad at, 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 at what's happening. So Eric Spolstra signs a record eight-year, $120 million deal. So I think Finch ought to be asking for, what, $200 million? Yeah, no question, right? I mean, it's like just look at the records and the numbers yeah. and and say it's time to pay the man. Um, it will be interesting though, in all seriousness, uh, Jim. I think I, I don't I can't remember for sure. I doubt, oh, I'm gonna have to check on this, but he has a couple more years left on his deal, I believe. Um, but you know, I he certainly was not a uh high in demand or well-known coach when he signed his contract. So um, there were, there are plenty of people within the league knew that he was a really good coach, um, and, and thought highly of him. But, uh, I, I don't think that the wolves had to break the bank to pay Chris Finch. Um, I think he was, he's probably more toward the bottom of the league in salary. Um, that obviously is going to change in the next couple of years. If, you know, the Wolves continue to win like this. He's been in the playoffs two years in a row. He's going to be in the playoffs for a third straight season. And if they go deeper into the playoffs, he's going to um, he's going to position himself for a very hefty and handsome payday, and it would be well-deserved. No doubt about it. Do you think he is going to get serious consideration for Coach of the Year if things continue along this path? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, one thing that the, another interesting thing in terms of talking about the national discourse is, you know, I, I've I've heard uh, people start to talk about oh, award season and whether it's all star coach of the year, things like that. And I mean, the amount of. Of conversation right now where it's. Well, Mark Dagnold is clearly the coach of the year from Oklahoma City. Um, you know, that it's his award to lose. Mark Dagnold is an unbelievable coach. He's done a tremendous job with Oklahoma City. They're very young and they're, you know, just a half game behind the Timberwolves in the Western Conference. And they've they've had a fantastic season. He absolutely deserves to be in 
the main primary conversation for coach of the year. But if Chris Finch finishes this season in first place in the Western Conference, I don't know how you don't give it to him because, yes, he has talent at his disposal, but look at what they were last year. Look at how unique this roster construction is and what it has taken to get this team to play high-level basketball and play connected and play together and figure out how to navigate the two bigs playing together, um, seeing what Nas Reed has done, you know, like just looking at the unconventional way that the Timberwolves are playing games and winning games. And that takes a lot of coaching to help that process play out. And so, um, you know, he should absolutely, in my mind, be a favorite for coach of the year. And maybe it's, maybe it is him and Dagnall right now in, in, in the catbirds, in the front runners. Uh, but if, if, if the wolves do end up finishing above Oklahoma city, I just think that it would be uh, unwise to not vote for Chris Finch with just everything that he's had to do to wrangle this roster to get it to a point where it can be successful. Let's get a final thought from John. Thanks again to Aquarius Home Services, TSR Injury Law, Head Flyer Brewing. Do stop by Head Flyer Brewing. Tell them John Krasinski sent you. Thanks again to our producer, Brandon Morton. Again, subscribe to your favorite podcast after this show. Also highly recommend the Viking Update show, uh, Chin Music with Roy Smalley and Lavelle E. Neal III. Also our new sports uh, show, Don Mitchell, Dawn of Sports. Uh, we've had a lot of great guests lately, PWHL players, Natalie Darwitz, uh, local journalists, national journalists, Mike Tirico, Vikings, uh, Jim Cott. Just go check it out. Don's done a great job with that show. And we do appreciate you listening to TalkNorth.com. All right, John, wrap up the show. Final thought on anything you like. Yeah, look, we we've talked about how you know the Wolves for the previous couple of weeks had really been in a gauntlet part of their schedule, and you know, kind of they they did they did better than tread water. They were nine and seven in the sixteen games against teams with winning records, and they could have been, you know, they could have been ten and six. They could have been eleven and five when you look at how a few of the the balls bounced um, against Dallas and Boston. So they should feel really good about that. But now they are really entering a soft spot in their schedule. And so now becomes a real opportunity for them to rack up some big, some wins and pad their victory total and try and get a, a little bit more cushion in the West. They play at Detroit on Wednesday. They come home to play a absolutely injury decimated Memphis team on Thursday, then Oklahoma city on Saturday. That's going to be really, really tough. They have then they have Charlotte, Washington, Brooklyn, and San Antonio before going back to Oklahoma City. So um, this is a real opportunity for them to pile up the wins. They've done an excellent job so far this season of winning the games they're quote unquote supposed to win, uh, but they got to keep that up because the Western Conference has really tightened from just an overall record standpoint you know the the wolves have 11 losses and, and okc both have 11 losses at the top and then you know um sacramento and new orleans only have 16 losses in the five and six seed so this is going to be a tight race um all the way 
into April and into playoff time. And the more that they can really pile up wins when they are presented to them, going to be better, the better for them. So uh, this is this is a, an important stretch for for the Wolves coming up right now to to pad that victory total and 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 take advantage of it. Good stuff from John. Thank you, John. Thanks, Brandon. We'll talk to you all next week.